Uh, we're going to be looking at verses chapter, chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. If you need Bibles, uh, please raise your hand and we'll pass them out. Uh, the text will be periodically up on the screen, but we do encourage you to bring your own Bible or use a Bible uh, just to continue to, to uh, get used to uh, dialoguing with the Scriptures. If you need, we had, last week we passed out a, dot, a packet for those of you who are going to be a part of the series. We're going all the way through the book of Galatians. We just finished John. Uh, this will be around um, a 13-week deal. We will, if you want that document, it's in back. You can raise your hand. We would love to give that to you. Uh, it has uh, different cursory notes, introduction notes, also word studies in it, um, in addition to some questions and answers for Bible study on your own time. So the heart behind it is that we will continually be growing in our understanding of the scriptures, understanding the truth and how to apply the word to our lives. So we would love to provide that for you. Um, Leon's right here passing that out. If you didn't get one from last week, uh, please feel free to grab one. We're in Galatians chapter 1, family. I'm going to go ahead and read the text, and then we're going to go right back to him, okay? Starting at verse 6. Um, if you remember, uh, basically, last week was uh, a lot of history, because basically between verses 1 and 5, uh, all Paul is really saying is high. And so um, you can't do much with that. Uh, so we went through some history uh, through using the text. And, and now um, we get into the argument. If you remember, remember some key points last week was the tone, the tone of Paul's voice, uh, as he's writing this letter, is one of immediacy, of seriousness. Uh, remember the, 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 the contrast between other other scriptures that he had written before, some of the other epistles, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, the Thessalonians, you know, you, you name it. Um, there's always a sense of greeting, a sense of, hey, how you doing? And then let's get to the nitty-gritty. Right here, he wastes no time to make it very clear that I am extremely concerned but remember, we said the focus of that concern, which is interesting here, versus in 1 Corinthians, where there was a lot of uh, external drama, right here, his biggest concern is doctrine. Okay? Um, so we talked about that briefly. So we enter uh, into now. He begins, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm just going to go ahead and read through, and then we're going to go back and talk about some things. In verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. So a different gospel is actually no gospel. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven uh, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if you didn't hear it, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I not trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? So obviously you can see, uh, you can see the seriousness of the text here um, with Paul. There are some things that Paul always does. And, and just as you are reading the scriptures, as we are walking with the Lord together, we have to always remember that, that Paul is assuming some things. He's assuming uh, that we have the mindset of a first century Jew. And he's assuming that you, that you, um, that you know some, 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 some stuff about, about the history that you know some stuff about your lineage. Um, with that said, 
I want to make sure as I go back to verse 6 that I, that I cover a few uh, cursory issues to make sure we're on the same page before we can move on, okay? Um, he starts in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So, he says something, that, and I want to make sure we're on the same page. He talks about this. He says gospel, right? He says that they're turning to a different gospel. But, but we need to first, and I always want to make sure we can do this, we need to first make sure that we're all on the same page, both new believers, if you're an unbeliever searching for Jesus right now, or if you're a believer that's been walking with the Lord for a while, let's make sure we're on the same page with what the gospel is, okay? So the gospel is that there is one God, one God, the maker of right heaven, and earth, creator of both created and uncreated things. And what God did was that he, he created not only all things, but then specifically he made us his headliners. He created men, right? He created us in his image, created us with value, with purpose and worth, right, and dignity. And, and, and he had this desire, he had this, this, this desire for this creation project for man, uh, and the desire was for worship, that he created us to worship him. Okay, but because of our own disobedience, because of sin, uh, because of our own disobedience, because of our, our, our own desire of active rebellion or passive indifference, uh, the Bible says that we were separated from God. And so although there was this reality that we were created to worship God, to be his forever, we, because of our own audacity of thinking that we can actually be our own gods by having our own truth, having our own right and wrong, and determining what we will and what we will not do, God says, well, what I'll do is I'll separate you from me. Because now you think you're your own God. Well, from there, God could have destroyed us all. He should have destroyed us all. But what did he do? With his great love, with his passion for us, he then, he sends, he sends himself. God comes into the flesh in the man, Jesus Christ, right, to live a perfect life. So we have God, God himself, God, both God and man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, comes, lives a perfect life, right? And then it says in the scriptures, Although tempted in every way, just like you and me, what does he do? He goes right to the cross. Why? To pay for our sins. Now check this out. It's a perfect substitute. See, our old daddy, Adam and Eve, right? What they did was they substituted themselves for God, right? I want to be God, okay? And what Jesus does, what he corrects the substitution. What Jesus does, he substitutes himself for sinners. You see that? And so it's a great, beautiful thing of redemption, so Jesus comes, he goes to the cross, he pays for our sins. So when I say that, so he's not, he paid for all of my sin. The Bible says both past, present, and future sin. He paid for the sin of all those who would know him. So he frees us from the bondage of sin, but I always like people to understand. The scriptures don't just say, now I don't, I don't have sin no more, now I can go to heaven. He frees you not only from the bondage, not only from the penalty, but he frees you from sin itself. So this is what the Lord has done. So he dies on the cross for that, and then the Bible says that he died and was buried. And for three days, uh, he was buried. So now he has, he has accomplished this great work of, of paying for our sin, putting all the sin of all of man on himself because of his great love for us. But then the body doesn't stop there. But then he rises from the dead. And what's beautiful about Sunday, and there's many aspects of how we do our Christian calendar, but I want us to remember the reason why we worship on this day is because it's almost this aspect of the, in the third day, on Sunday, down on Friday, and on Sunday, Jesus rose victorious. Okay? So Jesus rises victorious, and that's why even Monday begins a new week, because with Jesus now risen, we have a new day. But that's a whole other thing. So 
So you have Sunday. Now we, Jesus rises and he says, now I reign. Now I'm the king of all things. And what he did when he rose, he now he made a spectacle of his enemy. He destroyed death. He destroyed Satan. He destroyed evil. He destroyed sin. Okay? So that's what his, resurre- with his resurrection. And then what he does, he doesn't just stop there. He says, now with that great good news, the gospel, what I just said, that you have a loving God and you have sinful man and you have more love to triumph sin. And a loving God says, I'll pay for your sin if you would dedicate yourself to me. Not only that, he says, now you have the, the beauty, you have the, you have the mission to go tell that to the world. And so then he says, now that's your mission, to have a missional posture, that now your whole life has been put back on track, put back on that creation track on what you were called to do from the beginning. And that is to proclaim me, to worship. So now we get an opportunity to really be human again and to worship the Lord. Okay, so he does that. He tells us, this is what I've called you to now. Now you're back on track. And then he ascends to the Father. And then he sits on the right hand of the Father, and he's the ruler of all things, both created and uncreated. You say the, the smart, the foolish, the light-skinned, the dark-skinned, the fat, the skinny, postmoderns, moderns, any person you can think of, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, those who are fast, those who are slow, those who are empowering in government, and those who are, who are lawyers, those who are businessmen. He reigns over every person and everyone everywhere, both created and uncreated things. And then he says, but now I'm going to come back one day and I'm going to judge both the living and the dead. And those who love me, who know me as their king, who has given their life to me as he is our substitute, he says, I'll give you my life when you take, when you take mine. So you give me your life and I'll, and I'll give you my life. If we do that, he says, we get to spend eternity with him forever. And for those who do not do that, the reason why the gospel is so important, for those who do not do that, will spend eternally separated from God in a conscious, intense area, a place called hell that's thrown into the lake of fire. That is the gospel. We believe in Jesus Christ. Now, if you didn't know all that, that's what you believe. So, I'm just kidding. I know how it is. You're like, man, I knew that part, but I didn't know. Really? Well, that's cool. So, we need to understand the gospel. We need to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. See, that's good news. The beauty of the good news laced throughout all of that. What was laced throughout all of that? That word we talked about last week, family, grace. You remember that? We see a loving God creates out of the abundance of love. Absolutely, totally okay with himself. He wasn't lonely. He had a trinity. He didn't need anybody to play with. He's God. You know what I'm saying? He didn't need R&B videos and BET and all this stuff. He doesn't need something to occupy his time. He's the king of the universe. He creates. That's the beauty. We can't imagine that. Out of just the fullness of having full love and having everything you need to just say, I'm going to do this for them and for my glory. Absolutely nothing. He didn't need to create us. So that's grace. He created us out of abundance of love. Always remember that. The gospel never starts with you are a sinner. The gospel starts with God's love. Okay? But not only that, all throughout time, then we sin against him. What happens? He comes back again. Grace, unmerited favor. And then he sends his God's son, Jesus Christ, dies and rises for us. Wait a minute. He rises and then what? He gives us a missional call. How? Are we capable? Are we competent? No. By grace. He says, not only did I save you by grace, not only did I birth you by grace, I'm going to allow you to retell my story by grace. So it's not like we get enough Bible knowledge and we start reading our concordance and stuff and now we bad Christians, we can do our thing. No, it's the grace of the Lord. 
So notice that. Remember what we said last week? Without grace, you can't have peace. Grace is so important. And that's why we say every week here, please go and live a grace-motivated life. Okay? Just want to get us on the same page. That's the gospel. So that's what was being distorted. We're going to look at why it was, how it was being distorted, family. But please, everyone in here, especially if you're saying, I love Jesus, know the gospel. You hear me? Don't add to the gospel. Understand what you believe about Jesus. Let's continue on, family. So that's the gospel. Now let's look at some words he talks about here. He says, oh, by the way, uh, if you're new here, and even our, our, our homies, please ask questions because we want to make sure that we are learning more about what you, who, who Jesus is and what he's about. And by the way, I don't have all the answers. There's times you ask a question, I don't have a clue. And then we just, I go, oh, no. And you know what? And then we'll, we'll research or something, and hopefully we can find out what's up. But we want to we just be in dialogue, okay, family? This is not a spectator sport. So um, just make sure that we are um, passionate about wanting to know what God has said. So he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly. I love that. I am astonished. What in the world? Can you imagine if he was writing this like with a little slang? I mean, he's like, look, what are y'all doing? Right. I'm astonished that you are so quickly. I mean, it's almost like he just got the information. He's writing like he had heard information from his people. And the context of the letter that we see in, um, in Galatians chapter six, I think, verse 11, is a sense of like immediately he starts writing. And it's to the point where his hand gets tired. Right. So he's like, what in the world? No, baby, I got my stuff here. My wife's like, you need some juice, baby? No, I'm cool. Um, so, uh, so, he's, he's, so he's so like, wow, I cannot believe you guys have so quickly deserted the one who called you. Now, let's pause right there. Remember we said we're going to talk about call? Let's talk about call. We need to talk about call because we, we when what we've done to the word cause is crazy. All right, so let's dialogue about call real quick. Can you throw up some slides? All right. Um, what I want to do Actually, um, God's will should be before this. Is that right? Okay, because you can't, because call, God's call and God's will, um, they're kind of messy. Uh, and you'll see in a moment. But we, we need to talk, we've got to start off by talking about God's will before we can start talking about what biblical call is, okay? And stick with me there. I think it'll make sense in a moment. So we have this whole sense of God's will. We also talk about, I can know God's will. What's God's will for my life, right? We struggle with that, right? That's our deal. Okay, I want to propose to you that the Bible teaches that there are like these, there's basically in a nutshell, and you've seen this in some books. A good friend of mine wrote a book. I think he talks about the exact same thing. Uh, there's, these, there's basically the big three aspects of God's will. Okay, family? Okay, the first piece is you have the decreed will, right? You guys remember this a little bit? You have God's decreed will. It will happen. Okay, there are aspects in God's will where he's like, this is going to happen. This is what I want. It. This is how it's going to work out. And there's nothing... Is this, this is what it is, okay? Jesus will come back and bring recreation to everything. That's decreed. And Satan could cry and say, I'm sorry, all he wants. It's going to happen, okay? Um, those who love Jesus, I don't know who we are. I mean, we're all professing here. Only Christ knows who's serious. You will be in heaven. You will be with the Lord. The Bible says if you have given your life to Jesus... Again, you don't make it because you just was a good Christian the whole time. You make it because he puts you in this bubble of grace, and he, he makes sure you make it. Okay? So you will. If you, you love Christ, chill. You with him. Calm down. You ain't got to, you know, read your Bible five times or something. Decree will. Will happen. Desired will is what should happen. Okay? Desired will is the scriptures. 
Okay, I talk a lot about prescribed reality and described reality, right? And the scriptures show that. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a prescribed reality where God says, this is, what, this is what I want to have happen. This is how things should be. This is how you should treat the poor. This is how you should love your wife, right? But, obviously, sometimes that doesn't happen, okay? So, so the scriptures is how we find out what God's desired will is. Now, here's the kicker. I propose to you that the Bible is extremely clear that he wants you to live in that realm, Okay, so he wants you to live, you, you know, you want to know what you need to be doing and stuff. He's saying, obey and fulfill my desired will. Okay, now, here's what we do, though. We go to God's specific will. We, God has said, I want you to, this is what I'm about, this is what I want you to do. Uh, but we want to know specifically, okay, God, but I propose that this is, he, in the specific will, it's the freedom to trust what happens, right? So, so it's the freedom. So specific will, the reason why it makes us jump out of a window, because this is the one where God is going, well, really, I don't really care. You know, y'all ain't going to like this, but I, I'm not as concerned as you are about who you marry, as long as she loves me. See, we don't, see? The only part of that that he cared about was his desired will. We ain't liking that. I got some mean faces around here. So uh, I'm telling you that God's glory and his plan is bigger than if you're going to have peanut butter and honey or peanut butter and jelly. So his specific will is that he's saying he's giving you this, this huge freedom. He's saying, look, I want you to, it's almost, I mean, you think about recreation. You think of, okay, we always talk about, so you have Adam and Eve and all these trees. They eat all this stuff, Right? And they could have done anything. He just told, hey, now, but I don't want you to eat this one. The same, our world, he said, I want to give you freedom under the umbrella of holiness. By God's grace, I'm praying that some of you else get free today of the bondage of running around, chasing rabbit trails, um, trying to find out what God wants you to be about. Because I'm proposing to you that it's called God's will, prosperity S, because he owns the will, and he doesn't really care about telling you. And usually you understand God's specific will looking back, not looking forward. So we always go, well, does God want me to do this? And then what happens, you've probably heard of it sometimes, called analysis paralysis. We analyze it so much, we do absolutely nothing. And God is going, that my, that's my issue. I was waiting for Dante. Go ahead, buddy. Good word. If you were to learn more about God's specific will. That's what's up. So here's what I wanted to take you to the Bible. I want you to do, I want any person, if you are struggling right now with this, I want you to do an exhaustive study on this aspect of God's will. Because what you're going to see is there's not much talk about it in specificity. Okay, no, but I'm, but I'm saying, and when you do, I, I get your, your conclusion, because I have, is that you're not going to see a lot about the specific piece. Now, a couple, there's a couple of verses that people take out of context. You've got Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, where God talks about uh, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, and there's, and there's a context, in, um, I believe it's in Thessalonians, where he talks about, or almost also in um, Ephesians 1, where he talks about we pray, and he say, you know, that, uh, pray that I would know the, the, the understanding and have wisdom of God's will and all these kind of things, right, in Ephesians 1. So 
One second. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I love that verse because what it does, it just puts a nail in the coffin of this argument. Is that he's saying there, listen to what he's saying here. He's saying that your discernment, right, you don't get discernment without dedication. So what we want is we want God, tell me what you want me to do here. Tell me what you want me to do there. And then we go, and if I like it, I'll obey you. That's what we do. See, that's called witchcraft. See, all of a sudden, you just became God. You see that? I'm tripping a little bit, but I want you to hear me. Because this is, this is plaguing us, guys, in the evangelical circle. That's why we're spending 10, 15 minutes on this. Plaguing us. God is saying there, he's saying, no, discernment only comes through dedication. So God is saying, I want you to go, I don't know what you want me to do, God. I don't even get it. But guess what? I'm dedicated to you. I do whatever you want me to do. I'm robust about your glory. I'm jealous about you being proclaimed. And then God says, because you are serious about bringing honor to me, you want to bring me glory, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to use you like crazy. I'm going to show you just immeasurable things because you are serious about me. I guarantee you when we're about kingdom, God provides his power for his glory. I'm telling you. And so that's just the Bible. So I'm saying, God is saying, bump trying to have all this discernment and be like, okay, what God want me to do? He's saying, be dedicated. If you dedicate to me, dedication, I guarantee you, you will then bring discernment. When we're dedicated, then God shows you things. Then God go, then now, you, now you begin to see. Why? Because your worldview has changed. Because your lens has become God's lens. Now, you be, now you're retelling Jesus' story when he says, I do nothing except the Father that t- tells me. If the Father didn't tell me, I don't do it. So, that, so now, but see, that's not, that's not, I want to propose to you, I know we're going well, but I'm telling you, I, search the scriptures, that, that's just not sultry enough for us. But it's biblical. That God wants you, he wants to, for some reason, it seems like God has said the specific will, he wants to give us freedom, freedom to act and know that, hey, man, you could do this or that, and you know what, I'm not even tripping. Um, I know that's unpopular, but that's why I bring it up, and I, and I want you guys to research that. I tell you, I think it's robustly biblical. So, so, so Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a good verse to exegete. And then look at the cross-references there and go to different places. But we need to come to conclusion, family, because what happens, we're going to talk about this in a moment, when we, we use this verbiage a lot, God's will this, God's will that, what's God's will? And what we're doing is we're messing up our own brain and you're messing up younger believers who are watching you. And so if you want to mess up yourself, go in the closet and do that. But man, watch the covenant community, man. Like, don't be saying all this, this Christian stuff, and then young believers start just trying to learn the jargon, and they start talking like you, and then they're crazy like you in two years. Like, no. Speak accurately about God. Speak appropriately. Um, so, so again, now, now I'm throwing this out to say, please research it, family. And I love, I love the challenge that Dante provided. Go to the Word. God wants us to be free to make choices under the umbrella of holiness. Did you hear that real quick? Under the umbrella of holiness, he says be free. He wants you to be passionate about him, be willing to do the things that you are clear in the desired will. Now what we do, now here, now here, now you can't, you take that and then you got it. And we, we've had this discussion, me and my, my good friend Nick. You take that, but now you've got to take it and realize we all have a reference point. If we are upperly mobile people and we go, well, I can just do whatever, you know, I can love the Lord wherever, I want to say you are sadly mistaken and you've missed it because we are spoiled, rich Americans. And if you go with that reference point, I'm going to tell you, your knee-jerk reaction would not be to serve in the hood. 
Because the world doesn't tell you to do that. You didn't grow up hearing that. Don't you don't think now that your family hasn't influenced you, that your friends haven't influenced you, that your professors haven't influenced you, that America hasn't influenced you. Don't be unwise. So God says, as you have the freedom of holiness, be robust about the scriptures and be willing to change your worldview and realize that your worldview messed up. I don't think we realize that our worldview is messed up. Just because you say yes to Jesus doesn't mean he just, that whole mind of Christ thing, he, okay, that's a theological treaty. He, you didn't just go, Poof, and all of a sudden now you're just quoting verses and thinking like Jesus. No, no, no. You have been given the mind of Christ by faith, and he's saying exercise that. Understand who he is. Yield to him, and then he'll allow those things to come to you. John 14, John 16, right? Are you feeling me, family? I'm going off a little bit because I want us to have our new believers. I guess we've got some new believers here who are starting to walk with the Lord. Don't get caught up in Christian jargon. God is saying, I want you to have freedom under the umbrella of holiness. Is it holy? Is it, to- is it from the Lord? Is the Lord passionate about it? Let me do it. And guess what? Think about it, y'all. Now, I'm a sinner. I know when I'm tripping. And you do, too. A lot of times we play this, so I don't know what God wants me to do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to keep it real. Maybe, maybe, maybe 0.1% of the time I said that, and at the depths of my heart, I was like, you know, going to Gordon Conwell, the Trinity, that was like I didn't get it. I didn't know what to do. Took a step of faith, and God changed my life. But a lot of times, I'm, I'm like, I play that role, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> so I can just be like stagnant, you know. So, so like, I, we need to be real with ourselves. All right, family? Um, I'm sorry, sir. Hallelujah. Let's go home. No. No, no, no. What he did was he appropriately looked at the history and understanding. Like, you can't, con- we're going to talk about it in a moment. We're going to look at Abraham. I mean, unless you start in nations, man, you can't, you can't just be going, well, he said Abraham. Okay, let's look at the context, bruh. So, so, all right. So, okay, now, now hear me. Hear me, family. I'm sorry. I get, if you know me, I get, I get excited. But, but I, I want to make sure that I, play, I, I, I keep giving that I heed to what Dante said. I don't want you guys taking this just like I said it. Bump me. I want you to research it. I think it's robustly biblical. But please, don't, don't be stagnant on this. Move on this. Because it, it shapes your walk. It shapes your walk. So, so I hope you understand and believe what I'm saying. But if you don't, research it, please. Okay, so that, for, for whatever the argument, that's God's will. Three aspects of it. Understand that it matters to your journey, family. Okay, now this is how it matters. Because you got God's specific will here. Now hear me. God's call, where's the focus? The specific will. Go back, please. Remember? Thank you. Where's, where's the focus? It's there. I propose to you that's where our focus shouldn't be. You see the problem there? If what if what if if I'm re, if, if if the research is right and history is right because there's a lot of people who agree in what I'm saying, right? Because I didn't make this up. This is from people way before me. 
If, if I'm telling the truth by God's grace from the scriptures, then I'm saying if you start talking about God's call all the time in the specifics of your life, you're hitting this area where God is going, give me a break. Now, let me, let me, let me prove that a little bit. Go, now, go to God's call. Here's what we do. So God's call. I just want you guys to understand the argument. So you got God's will, these three aspects. You got this one aspect of the specific aspects of God's will, and I'm saying God's call only, only hits that part from our perspective. But I want to show you how the Bible defines God's call. So, God, so we use God's call as a synonym for supposed to, right? Continue to go down, E. Thanks. So I don't know what I'm called to do, what I'm supposed to do, right? Continue. Just keep going. Just keep going. I feel called to. I feel I'm supposed to. God called me to. That's what you're called to do, right? We throw it on somebody else. That's your call to go to the city. So, you know, right? That ain't my call, right? Um, has God called me to this neighborhood? So uh, God said to me, no, I don't want you to live here. I want you to live there. Okay? Am I fair so far? That's the kind of way we use it. That's, now, we're still not right, you know, is that, is that fair? Okay. Now, continue on, please. Why do we use this terminology? I'm just saying. Okay? Um, hear my heart here. If the shoe don't fit, don't wear it. All right? But the shoe fit, wear it like something else. Okay? Why do we use this terminology? A lot of times people use this terminology to avoid accountability. Okay, I'm just keeping it real. Because who going to question Jesus? You start saying, God called me to something. What, I'm going to say no? Right? Who going to question the Lord? So you know you've done that before. You know you've been hanging with somebody and they said that. And you want to be like, really, dude? But you're like, man, he put the whole call. He did that. Well, lights out, man. I guess he's right. God, God told him. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to fight against God. You know what I'm saying? Who does that? So avoids accountability. Now, again, some of us, that may not, not be the case, but sometimes I'm guilty of doing every one of these. And now hear me here, not just saying the terminology, but having this heart. I'm guilty of it. So I'm not, this is not some elitist thing. I'm telling you from my journey of failure. Um, please continue. Desire to experience the supernatural realm. Now, the first one's kind of foul. The second one are people with good hearts. See, at the end of the day, even that's what's messed up with our charismatic movement. I call it irresponsible charismatic because I think there's responsible charismatics where you can be responsible understanding that God is supernatural and the Holy Spirit does awesome things. Now, hear this. We, the heart, what's crazy is that people want to experience the Lord supernaturally. People want to have all that God has for them. So people are going, Lord, I just want to experience you. I want to, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want, to, I want you to do awesome things in me and through me. And so we, and, but what happens is we get these, we get with the grown cats who start like trying to tell us what to do here and there. And all of a sudden it gets warped. Because guess what? Although you're saying that, I mean, our hearts could be here and there, but also Satan knows, knows you're trying to go there. As soon as he sees that you started to put the trump card on experience, he will do some crazy stuff to you. When experience trumps Faith, you got a serious problem in your spiritual formation family because that is unbiblical. So, so the heart behind this is awesome, supernatural realm. We want to experience the Lord. I'll continue on. So we said, God called me to this. We want, we, want to, we want to know that God is intimately involved in our life, that he's guiding me, and that helps us a little bit when we feel like that, you know? <coughs> When, when, God, when we are waiting for, um, it's like the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit is like electricity, right? If you wait to see electricity to use it, 
you're going to be in trouble. Your food going to spoil, in the winter you're going to freeze to death, right? But we don't. We, we, we use electricity, right, because we know that it's there, right? In the same way, we don't move on God. We don't do Christian life based on experience. We do it based on a resurrection, right? So the resurrection guides my faith. The resurrection moves me forward. The resurrection gives me the strength to love. The resurrection is every aspect of where I gird myself so that when everything else is shaky, when the girl broke up with me and I didn't think she was opposed to, when my kid has a bum kidney, when someone dies in my family and all these things happen where they just don't, the experiences aren't matching up to my faith, I go, whoa, but he rose. But he rose. That's what I mean. So, yes. Say again. Good, good. All I'm saying, guys, for going to be for, and, and great question too, bro, because that's the one for all of us. It's like, how do you, that, the experience thing, I'm just saying, man, resurrection, y'all. That thing is crazy because here's, here's the thing. We got to believe the best, okay? People say crazy things, and we believe the best. Never forget, um, I think it was E's junior year. We had Michigan State. Dude, come up to E talking about Wednesday, man, 300 people going to come to Christ. So E come up to me. Remember that, E? He's like, uh, hey, E, uh, some brother was like, 300 people going to come to Christ. What do you think about that? I was like, when do you say they're going to come to Christ? Wednesday. So okay. Well, if you come to Christ Wednesday, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And if they don't, he's a false prophet. Right? <laughs> so, so, so I want to believe the best. Cats say something crazy. I'm cool, but, the, but, but I'm just propo- I'm proposing that when you say all this peace stuff, again, the Bible, study this, the Bible gives no credence to the human heart. Do you get that, my dear, my family, crew? The Bible, gives no, the Bible doesn't give you one encouragement about your heart. The Bible doesn't say, like, just like the world says, we're just good people. The Bible says you foul. Eric, you foul. And without Christ, your works are like filthy rags. That's, that's how the Bible feels about you and your works. <laughs> I'm just kidding, real. That's how the Bible feels about our heart. So when we, so the Bible, so, so when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, he talks about this sense of like our conscience. We have a conscience. But he says, he says, but I don't even trust my conscience. He says, my conscience is good, but it ain't that good, right? My point in that, when you start talking peace and all this stuff, guess what you're assuming? That your heart is cool. The Bible has totally said you are lying. So you can put some, you can put some, some like weight in your consciousness because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're walking with the Lord, your conscience will guide you. But that's a faith issue. So you can't put you can put some some weight in that, but not a lot. And we put everything in it. This whole peace thing, again, that's just a sense of, hey, I'm having peace. How are you gonna tell me? It's my peace. <laughs> right? Can we can we be real? Let's let's, let's, let's love each other. I, um, um, yes, please. Okay, you, you feeling me, family? So, so we come on. We want to come on spiritually deep. That was more me. Maybe you don't struggle with that. I was so I remember on campus just trying to be all deep and stuff. 
Man, it was crazy. I mean, I tell you, I think my first two years, man, I'm going to go meet with Jesus. He's going to say, man, your first two years, they're all up in smoke. You was tripping. But, I mean, I'm telling you, I wasn't, man, stuff I was telling people to do in Christ was scary, y'all. So, uh, you know, uh, continue on, please. And then some of us are just too Christian, you know. We just got all this, we got all this vernacular in us, and we don't even know how to speak English. So we like, you know, now, now here's the thing. Now here's the thing, though. There's something theologically astute to Christian words. Because, because the Bible, the reason why we do this, and we got to understand why we do this. The reason why, why we say Christian words to people, and we say like, you know, uh, peace be with you and all that, is to remind us that we're not crazy. So like Christian vernacular is important because it allows us to remember that we're in another realm. Like, we all we got. You follow me? So don't get too a traditional thinking, I'm just going to be a G in the sleep so we can slang and be like, no, 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 you missed the point. That Christianity, God wants us to have that vernacular because in the first century and so um, early on, they had a vernacular intentionally because they were being persecuted. And they had to be able to give that wink. You down too? Oh, cool. And they had to have a dialogue. You follow me? So we don't have that now, so we don't know what that means. But it was very important. So don't, don't miss the vernacular piece. But we need to be careful about being too Christian. My concern is the younger people. Younger people, we, how do you, we learn how to walk by other people. So when you just run around doing all this Christian jargon with no heart, you just all passionate with no wisdom, that's what you're teaching. Um, that's how we use the terminology. Now check this out, guys. Okay, now we don't went off, so I'm going to make sure we can stay on the same page. God's will, three decrees. We got the decree, we got the, um, the desire and the specific piece. Now we went to call. Okay, now we see this is why people use the terminology, right? Let's continue on. Keep hitting them, buddy. Okay, here are verses. Just showing you guys' call. I can give you verses at the point where y'all jumping out of windows over here. I mean, guys call all over the place. And these are specific. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope, and you're calling. I mean, you can just take, read at your leisure. For the sake of time, don't read at your leisure. Let's go to the next slide. You can get these verses. There's more verses. More verses. Can stay right there for a moment, please. Go back, please. I'm sorry. For God's gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. Um, here's, here's the only one that people can even have any, any evidence. So you got, look at this. You got 66 books in the Bible. There is a couple of verses in Scripture that we can even have dialogue about something being different than what I'm about to propose to you. Only a couple. But let's look at uh, what, what are we learning here? What's the, what's, like, what's the conclusion? Continue on E. So responsible usage. This is go all the way down. Let's go all the way down, E. So look, a statement identifying a divine initiative. That's what we're seeing in Galatians. Now, hear me here. I'm just now saying, here's the way call is used in Scripture. Y'all still with me, family? I, I want you to know this is important. Because if you leave here today and we finally use call in a biblical framework, that would be a huge win for all of us. Right? A divine initiative. The sense of, of God is saying, like even in Galatians, right here, when he says, what is his point there? His point it's not about you. His point is about him. His point is like, look, I chose you. That's his point. Right? He said, look, he's saying, the point here, let me read it real quick. Verse uh, that you deserting the one who called you by his grace. That you are leaving the one who grabbed you. Do you see that? The point of the verse is like God has grabbed you. The divine initiative. God, you didn't, you didn't know what you was doing. And God just said, hey, you're my son. And grabbed you. 
And so Paul's point is, why are you, why are you running from that? When the king of the universe has grabbed you and made, us, made you his son, made you his daughter, and now you're doing something stupid, don't you get God called you? God grabbed you? Divine initiative, family. Continue on, please. Uh, it says, um, statement of summons and purpose of fulfilling the Christian life. Okay, so, so usually in those texts we saw there, there's a sense of like, he'll say, hey, there's this statement of like, you're like being um, a matter, a matter, a manner worthy of your calling, right? We've seen that. The sense of, hey, you have, this God has called you to be a Christian. He's called you to live holy. This is what you're called to do. So calling, I'm proposing, is always general. It's always God has called you to be a Christian, holy, to love. Now here's what you see, extremely seldom. A special task that redirects history, Okay? So you see a special task that God gives where all of history is changed. So you might one or two. I mean, I look at the Abraham piece, right, uh, where, he, where, he, where actually, he, I don't even, he doesn't even, even in, um, in, in, in verse 15, I don't even think he used the word call, but, it is, but I think it's fair to say it's a calling. But it's a sense of like, hey, I'm about to, I'm about to bring about another, about another nation another uh, remnant for, uh, for all of history, right? We're part of the Abrahamic covenant, right? So you have that, and then you have extremely seldom. Uh, this is the one we, we want to have happen all the time in our life with the specific piece, but I propose it happens like a supernatural redirection in the midst of normal service, okay? So someone, now listen to this, someone's doing their thing in Christ, being all that can be in the Lord, and then God says, no, I don't want you to do that, and supernaturally moves him. So he, he steps into the natural realm and changes things for his glory, which he can do that, but it's not the everyday thing. We see it clearly in Paul, right? He's about to proclaim his faith, and then what happens? A guy has a dream in Macedonia. Hey, he says, oh, I saw a guy saying you need to come to Macedonia, and all of a sudden he changes exactly what he was going to do. Okay, guys? Now, here's my point. Here's what it seems the Bible's teaching about this call piece. And that is that the highest level, now, don't just, again, research this, guys, but I'm, that the highest level of spirituality is cognitive obedience. Now, I say that because we have, we have warped spirituality and thinking it's the ooh and the wow and the power. And, whereas it seems that God is most concerned when you obey him. When you obey. And you say, Lord, I'm dating a, gr- a guy right now who doesn't love Jesus. Hey, Johnny, it's over. I need Jesus to pray and tell me that. When you cheat on your taxes and you come to Jesus and you say, I won't cheat anymore, period. Why does it always have to be supernatural to be testimony worthy? Why? Why can't it just be somebody up here saying, without any Holy Spirit supernatural stuff, I've been faithful to my wife for 20 years. I've watched her in the Word for 20 years. Why doesn't that get applause? Why aren't people standing up for that? Why aren't people shouting and running around in the stadium in the gym rooms for that? 
I propose to you God is way more pleased with that than some of the other crap we see. Obedience. Radical obedience. Loving your brother. Serving the poor. Cognitive obedience. What is, what is he saying for Samuel family? You know, he says, he's like, you know, oh, look, I did all this for you. God, I did all this for you. This is, this is um, um, Saul. He says, I don't care about all the things you did for me. He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. It's very interesting to me that Jesus himself, he gives, he, gives, he, he downplays his supernatural. Check the verses. Prove, prove me wrong in Christ. Two times in particular. One time in particular. What does he say? They come back. Oh, Lord, look what I did. We bosses. We big time. Casting out demons. I'm bad, boy. Right? Jesus says, shut up. You should be glad that your name is in the kingdom. Focus on what's good. He says, you, you excited that you have power? Shut up. You have me. Why you want power? Jesus wants you to be excited that you have Jesus. Demons. What else does Jesus do? He says, wait a minute. You know, people are going to say, I can't stop demons in your name. I prophesied in your name. Why? He could use any examples. Why did he use supernatural examples? To show you something. He says, depart from me. Your works was of iniquity. I never knew you. For people who was casting out demons. I'm trying to shake us out of this war spirituality. Me and my dear wife, we said when we, the Lord ever gives us an opportunity to be a part of a body, we just want to live a real faith. Almost that's want to be the theme of Macahab. We just live a real faith. We don't got it together. We love the Lord, and we call it like we see it. We ain't playing games here. We want to love radically. We want to see our lives transform, and we just want to honor the Lord. We don't need all this craziness. Do I believe in the supernatural realm? You know I do if you know me. I want God to move supernaturally here. I ask for the, the Lord to open me up to the spiritual realm. But that does not motivate my movement. I propose to you that's the responsible, this responsible usage, family. Let's continue on. I got like two minutes. And we'll think we're on verse 7. So uh, <coughs> I promise you, we do move faster. We're trying to define some words, y'all. So um, we have, um, okay, so, what we, so we understand the gospel and the sense of, well, at least you can say we've dialogued about call. If, you don't, if you're not buying it, research it. But please don't, like, not buy it and not do anything about it. If you don't buy it, get to work. Okay? Um. So he's saying, whoa, dude, like, so you're called, we get, we get that now, oh, hopefully, and he says, I call you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, we talked about grace last week, and we talked about grace throughout the gospel today. Okay, it's going to be the last part, and then we're going to pick up tomorrow, uh, next week, and I'm, we're going to fly through some stuff, okay, family? But there's one thing I want us to leave with, is understanding, like, making sure we understand grace. Because this is a biggie in our, in our community, in our neighborhood, we kind of miss grace. People can quote verses, and I hear them talk about the Lord, and they just kind of miss grace. Um, it's kind of weird. So 
how do you like? How do we know if we have skewed grace family? I just want to pr- pr- propose these real quick. Let's pop them up. E. So first thing is, um, we believe we know. I think something's wrong when you perceive that no sin equals favor. Okay, when you perceive that no sin equals favor, then what what you're really saying is your faith is dependent on your works. Your or your or your relationship with God is dependent on your works. Now now don't miss this. I'm gonna keep going because. Because we got, what I say here, I receive God's grace, therefore works don't really matter. See, there's a balance here. Okay, at the end of the day, the Christian life matters. We just keep it real. We don't like to hear that because we go, oh, is he talking workers based? Not at all. I'm going to start here, guys. For you, to, if anyone in here thinks that what they do, like, so you do something, and therefore you get this output, there's a couple things you're missing. Um, you're missing, you're, you have a warped view of understanding wrath and discipline, first of all. Because I'm proposing to you that theologically, and don't miss this, the wrath of God, if you are a believer, was poured out on Jesus, not you. Do you hear me? You're not still receiving. You do something bad, God isn't giving you his wrath. Why? The Bible says in Hebrews, you're now his son and daughter. There's a difference between wrath and discipline. You gotta get that. Because a lot of us walking around here thinking God gonna bust us up if we mess up. Now, first thing, so have an understanding of wrath versus discipline, but then we need to understand this. When you think, think now now I'm not trying to dog anybody, I'm just telling you how it comes off. This is this is from the Lord. The Bible teaches when you think that what you do warrants what you get, you're arrogant. Here's why. You deserve death. My head should explode right now. I deserve total damnation, and God has saved me and made me his friend. So for me now to go, look what I did. Look how cool I am. Or I'm glad I did that. Now I got this. Whoa, if I would have done that, I would have got this. You are thinking wrong about the Bible. Now, hear me here. That's, that's doctrine. But when we go to our receive God's grace, therefore words don't matter. Usually people who are in part one are mad at people in part two, right? You got cats. I know you're not a believer. You know you're not a believer. Everybody knows you're not a believer. But, you know, you said a prayer and snot was coming out your nose and you were in seventh grade. And so, you know, you just, that's your deal. And then you get the guy who's all works-based and he's like, that guy isn't serious and gets mad. And then that's how you get usually these dichotomies of, of, of doctrine, is mad folks at each other, like right? So these guys are mad at the people who don't give grace. I want to propose to you that the Bible is very clear that Christian life matters. That for you to think, see, it's not an issue of works-based. Here's what Jesus is saying. When he used the word believe, we have taken belief and we have prostituted it in, in the world today. Belief simply means cognitive assent. Whereas in the mind of a first century Jew, here's what belief meant. When you said you believe, so we say, you, get, you know, the gospel is free of charge. Does the Bible really teach that? I propose to you the Bible teaches, yeah, it's free of charge of everything but your life. I'm proposing to you that the Bible is teaching that Jesus wants your life. He's saying, you give me your life, I give you my life. So when you say you believe, you have just said, Lord, I dedicate everything of who I am to you. 
So don't call me. I don't think I'm all works-based. I'm just telling you uh, what the mindset of first century Jew was. And that's why they were very robust about not believing Jesus. Like we can just sort of lollygag and be kind of one here, one there. Jews knew what was up. They're like, no, homie, I don't know because I know what he's talking about. He wants my whole life. I wonder if it would be like that in, in churches today. If we were very serious about the gospel, but well, we have so many nice big churches. Just wonder. The goal is acceptance of self, not deliverance from sin. Thank you, guys. I'm, I'm going to basically my point there. Maybe I need to I'm just gonna stop here. The, the, we could sometimes we have a warped view of grace in the sense that we think what grace does, it allows us just to be who we are. That's not biblical either, family. Grace empowers you to be holy. You didn't miss that, did you? Grace is not about, see, we think, oh, I got God's grace. So I come to Christ and I can just always just be a masturbator. Or I can, you know, God just wants me to never grow because he just loves me for who I am. Yeah, he loves you, but he loves you and he wants to sanctify you. And what grace does, it gives you the freedom to not perform and to be able to rest and being able to grow in Christ. So when you, I mean, see, people don't see, when you have grace, now it's not about your performance. It's about Jesus. So what God is saying is that he's giving you grace, not just to go, see, acceptance of self, that's just Oprah. Just going, I just love who I am. God is saying, I love you, and I know that I'm, who I'm making you to be. And without grace, you don't have the power, you don't have the juice to become who God has called you to be. Chewing that. Finally, a warped view of sinfulness. I just talked about that. Presumption builder. When you, when we have a warped view of grace, we, pres- we, we, we presume upon God, and all of a sudden, now we're mad at God because he was supposed to do something. You see that? But it's because we don't recognize our own sinfulness. See, if we were very serious and we understood evil, and we understood like what the world is doing and how God is battling the world, we would go, wow. We would be more, way, more amazed that there's not more crazy stuff happening to us. If we really saw the world for what it is. See, we wouldn't go, well, how is this happening to me? We'll go, wow, I can't believe my car hasn't been broken in three times this year. The world's so messed up. Only once? Praise the Lord. That's what we'd be saying. We wouldn't be going, whoa, I just had, you know, one, one late bill? Man, I can't believe I got food. If we understood how foul the world is and how evil and what God is doing in us and through us, we would not be going, look what you owe me. And you see this practically, right? It's all about perspective. When my kid was sick, I thought it was the end of the world until I got into, into that NICU and I saw other kids with the brain hanging out. You know, half a heart. Parents having four surgeries in three days, the kids are three days old. And all of a sudden I realized, whoa, it could be a lot worse. So you just have a warped view of sinfulness, of understanding where we're at. But God has said, I've given you unmerited favor. You have done absolutely nothing to deserve it, and I'm excited to give it to you. Um, I'm going to actually pause here. My heart is that I have an application, but it was at the end, so uh, let's pray. Now, what we're going to do right now is... um, uh, guys, I, I pray that you uh, continue on with the series. Uh, we're going to have uh, tithe and offering. We're now going to do a song right now, guys. Um, if the tithe and offering can come. If you're new here, please. Um, 
Oh, it's 12.40. How am I doing on time? Am I okay? Can we do a song? Or? I would love for us to be able just to sing before the Lord. Please feel free to ask questions. I know I saw faces and hearts.